You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Happy Easter. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited uh, to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Uh, The lily has long been associated with Easter, so much so this is actually called an Easter lily. Now, that's not necessarily in the Bible. You won't find Easter lilies there, and yet I believe it's still a powerful symbol. The only time we see a lily mentioned in the New Testament is when Jesus is teaching us about worry, and he says, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. So I want to start Easter by having us consider the lilies. We also have 28 Easter lilies in the stained glass of the sanctuary. You can see some of them up on the choir area, and I'll leave it to you and I spy to find the rest of those. <laughs> but a lily is really a, a beautiful symbol. I think there's, there's a few main things that it represents. First of all, the Easter lily is a lily that is all white. That represents purity. Purity. And that's what we remember Uh, about the gospel. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, it says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This idea that Jesus' death on the cross is actually what cleanses us of our sins. A lily might also represent resurrection. Uh, Some of you, if you're gardeners, you know the difference between an annual and a perennial. Lilies are perennial. That means they keep coming Back. Maybe this one won't if it stays in a pot, but if I were to take the bulb from this Easter lily and plant it in my raised garden bed in my backyard, I might get 12 to 15 years out of this. And every winter it would die, and every spring it would resurrect. Jesus, in speaking of his own suffering in John 12, 24, says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's speaking of his own death, burial, and resurrection. A lily might also represent proclamation. That's one of the the things about a lily that's so beautiful is it has this unique shape. Very few other flowers are shaped like this. It's in the shape of a trumpet. I think about Jesus in his great commission in Mark 16, 16 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and... Proclaim to the the gospel to the whole creation that if this is true, if Easter Sunday actually happened, how can we keep this message to ourselves? We must go into the earth and proclaim it. And then one of my favorite things about uh, this flower and and just the the imagery of flowers and plants around Easter is, of course, the garden tomb. The garden tomb. I don't know what you picture when you picture Easter Sunday, but the tomb that Jesus was laid in, the tomb that he would raise from the dead in was a garden tomb. Look at what it says in John 19, verse 41. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. And I can't guarantee that there were lilies in that garden, but you can imagine. You can imagine. It was a place of beauty, actually, where Jesus' tomb was. Now, there are two main locations that people think uh, the actual tomb was. The, the first one is the traditional one, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, here's a picture of it. It's 
from 335 AD. Many Catholics and Orthodox Christians hold to this being the place, the actual uh, place. And uh, of course, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So some of these locations and and stuff really got messed up, right? When Rome uh, uh, came in and destroyed the temple, and there's only one wall left standing of the original temple and all of the rest. But there's a second location, and this was discovered much, much later in the 1800s. And while it's not necessarily the traditional location, it's more accurate to the biblical description. This second location is simply called the Garden Tomb. And it's found outside the city walls. It's actually near a rock face that looks from a distance like a skull. Golgotha is called the place of the skull. And, uh, and it's in a garden of all places. And so regardless of which one of these two locations is, is the actual location, what's important for us to remember is that when we talk about the Easter story, it's not just a story. It's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's not just a nice idea that we talk about on Easter, but the incarnation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are actual events that took place in actual places at a certain point in time. This is history that we're talking about that changes our lives. And regardless of which one of these locations, the location I want us to have in mind is not this idea that Jesus is in, you know, raised from the, the dead and he's in this beautiful church and gold and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, regardless of if that's the actual location, for us to have the garden tomb in mind, a rock face carved out of stone, a fresh tomb. And that garden tomb is a place of transformation. It's the place where Jesus' own body was dead and transformed and brought back to life in this amazing miracle that changes everything. But it's also a place of transformation for you and me. When we encounter the resurrected Christ, we cannot leave from that place unchanged. That Jesus changes Everything, And so what I want to do is, as we look at the Easter story from John 20, I want to look at four different people who interact with Jesus and how they experience transformation. And would you be open to asking that question, where do you see yourself in the Easter story? And what transformation does the Holy Spirit need to do in your own heart? The first person is a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that term, secret disciple, I think that's somewhat of an oxymoron. We were never intended, if we were to have a a true, genuine faith in Jesus, to keep it a secret. And yet Joseph did. He loved Jesus. He loved his teachings. And yet, he found himself torn, because he was a very wealthy man, He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling court. He had direct firsthand access to hearing what the Jewish leaders thought about Jesus. He knew they hated Jesus. He knew about likely the plot to kill Jesus. And so he he found himself in this place where he wanted to follow Jesus, and yet there would be a great cost, maybe a cost to his reputation and status in the city, perhaps a cost to his spot on the Sanhedrin, 
and perhaps even a cost to his physical life. What if they were to do to Joseph what they did to Jesus? And yet, on Good Friday, Joseph sees these events. He sees Jesus brutally tortured, nailed to the cross, dies there, and the Holy Spirit is maybe doing something inside of Joseph's heart. He didn't do anything to prevent those events from taking place, but maybe he could do something now. And he thinks to himself, the tomb that I own, my very own place of burial, is right where Jesus was crucified. It's close by. And he he starts thinking to himself, where will the body go? What will happen to the body? And so he, he pulls every string that he has, every ounce of influence he has available to him to, to work his way up to Pontius Pilate and say, please, would you allow Jesus's body to be laid in my own personal tomb? And Pilate, for whatever reason, grants him that request. Now there's some stipulations. There was a rumor going around that this man claimed to be able to rise from the dead in three days. So he made sure that there was a stone and there was a seal and there was a guard and that no one was gonna pull any funny business. And then Joseph and a man named Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin, took his body, wrapped it, put the, the appropriate burial spices on it. And there was an incredible cost to doing this. Not just the cost you know, of, of no longer being secret in his faith, but there's a, a physical cost I mean, how much is an above-ground tomb worth? I just did some modern, uh, modern research. A modern mausoleum is anywhere from $50,000 for kind of a basic model to over a million dollars. And this man is giving up prime real estate just outside of Jerusalem in a garden, in a place of beauty. And he says, Jesus can have my place of burial. The, the spices that Nicodemus brings was 75 pounds. They estimate this was a, about enough spices for burying 100 people. And they pour it out just on Jesus alone. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of fine oils and spices. And the transformation that Joseph experiences is he goes from secret to sold out. He goes from being a secret disciple. He, he loves Jesus privately to being sold out. Maybe for you, you've been in that place of a secret disciple. And while our faith was always meant to be personal, it was never meant to be private. And the transformation that God wants to do in your life today is to bring you from a place of secret to sold out. Jesus offered his life on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. What is he calling you to offer him? today, to be a sold-out follower of Jesus. In the early hours of Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, along with a group of other women, were heading to the tomb uh, to further pay their respect to Jesus. And on the way there, there was an earthquake, and they knew something was going on, so they quickened their pace, and they arrived at the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away. And before Mary Magdalene could even think, she she knew she had to alert Peter and John. So she ran from that place and she found them. And John is the next person I wanna focus on. John and Peter, in John chapter 20, verse four, 
John records in his own gospel that he wrote that both of them, when Mary Magdalene gave the news, they've taken the body and we don't know where it is, that they went running. And John records, once again, in his own gospel that he beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> weird, weird flex, but okay. He's like, it's my gospel. I'm gonna include the details that are most important. And he beats him to the tomb. And John gets there and he, he's standing there just staring at the empty tomb. And Peter shows up a few moments later and kind of pushes past him and barges in. Where is he? Where is he? Right? And John is there and he's, he's still. And he sees the tomb is empty, but it's not completely empty. There's the burial cloths. And he starts thinking about this, even like the logic behind this. I mean, what kind of person in their right mind, first of all, would try and rob a body from a tomb while there's a Roman soldier guarding it? And then he starts thinking about it. And what kind of person in their right mind, while they're, like, let's say they got past the stone and the soldier and they're grabbing the body, who would unravel a decomposing body and leave the burial cloth? And, and actually, they folded them up the facial cloth, he folded that up, set it nicely, and he looks there and it says that John saw and he believed. Now, what did he see? He didn't see the resurrected Jesus. He saw the empty tomb. He saw and he believed. And the transformation that John experiences is he experiences going from panic to perceiving. He's in that place of panic. What's happened, what's happened? He's caught up in the moment. Mary Magdalene's panic kind of rubs off on him and he gets there, but then he stands still and he's taking it all in. And in that moment, I believe before, no one's seen the resurrected Jesus at this point, John is the first believer in the resurrection because he's standing still, gazing at the empty tomb. Maybe you can relate to that, that feeling of panic you're just glad you showed up on time for Easter Sunday. You're glad the kids have shoes on, doesn't matter if they match. Maybe for you, you, you experience panic and stress and anxiety and busyness and go, go, go every single day of your life. And this Easter, the transformation that God wants to do in your life is for you to stand next to John at the empty tomb and perceive to slow down and perceive and believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I mean, do you realize the implications of this? Do you realize what the resurrection means for us in our lives? R. Kent Hughes says it like this, I love this. He says, a living Christ is an all-powerful Christ. A living Christ is a present Christ. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life now. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life in eternity. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us victory, amen? amen. Do you realize what the resurrection means for, for us? It changes everything, changes everything. He has risen just as he said he would. He is the son of God. He actually has the power to forgive our sins, to raise us up into a new life. It substantiates every claim, and there were bold claims that Jesus made. Changes everything. And for you, maybe you've been so busy in the panic that this Easter you need to be still at the empty tomb and really perceive 
So Peter and John, they go away from that place. Peter maybe still has some questions. What's really going on here? But John believes. And Mary is left there by herself outside of this tomb. And it says that Mary is stood weeping outside the tomb. That word weeping is not just, not just a single tear. It's, just, it's the same word actually in John 11 where, where the people are weeping for the tomb of Lazarus and his death. It's a wailing. It's not a quiet, pretty crying. This is ugly crying, okay? And she's there and she's weeping. And then after Peter and John left, she approaches and she sees something else inside the tomb. Two angels are there. Where have they laid him? Where have they taken my savior? And, and you can just imagine maybe the angels kind of like nod to her. They gesture behind her and she turns around and she sees a man. It's Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. Perhaps his appearance was veiled to her in some way or maybe her eyes are still so full of tears from weeping. I mean, she thought, uh, she was there, right, at the cross. She thought, that Jesus could finally rest in peace. The horror of the cross and the humiliation and the ridicule. At least now he's finally dead and he can rest in peace. But no, they've taken his body. The humiliation continues, right? And so she's in this moment and she turns to, to this man who she thinks is the gardener. It's in a garden, right? She thinks he's a gardener. She said, where have they laid him? I don't know where he is. And this man says her name, Mary. And one word is all she needs. Jesus in John 10 says that his sheep hear his voice and they know him. And she hears his voice and she knows it is Jesus Christ risen from the dead and she clings to him she clings to him, and Jesus actually tells her, do not cling to me, for two reasons. One, he knows that yes, he is risen from the grave, but he's only gonna be around for 40 days. He will ascend into glory to sit at the right hand of the Father, but then the next thing he says is he says he actually has a job for her, to go tell it to the brothers. This is what he says, and this is what it says in John 20, verse 18, and Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. The very first person to see the resurrected Jesus Christ is Mary Magdalene, a woman whom he cast seven demons out of, a woman who very likely was involved in prostitution or some other form of just intense sexual immorality. And she's the first person not only to see Jesus, but the first person to preach the gospel on Easter Sunday. Here's her message, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Here's the transformation that took place in Mary Magdalene. From anguish to announcing. From anguish, she's in this moment of sheer anguish to announcing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe for you, you're here in a place of anguish. Maybe it's anguish over your own sin. You're just, you're in a place of just utter brokenness and sorrow and, and you've made mistakes or maybe you've even intentionally lived a life far from God and you're carrying with you, it feels like this insurmountable weight of sin and guilt and shame. And you, you almost wonder, could God forgive me? Could he even forgive me for what I've done? I don't know if you know anything about demon possession, but you don't 
accidentally get possessed by seven demons. You've gotta be mixed up in some really, really dark stuff. Mary Magdalene was a woman who have sinned much, and she was forgiven much, and she loved much, and God was gonna use her to proclaim much on Easter Sunday. And I wanna encourage you with that. I, think, I don't think it's an accident that Mary is the first one to see Jesus. And you were in exactly the right place on Easter Sunday in church. Maybe for you, you find your place in a place of anguish, your life in a place of anguish as well, but it's not necessarily anguish for your own sin, it's anguish for the world. I mean, just look at the world. Look at disease and sickness and cancer. Look at racism and hatred. Look at bitterness and unforgiveness. Look at corruption. Look at war. And you find yourself this Easter just heartbroken in a gut-wrenching place of anguish. And yet for you, I just wanna encourage you not to stay in that place of anguish. There's a place to weep with those who weep and to grieve with those who are grieving, but it's Easter Sunday. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we've got a job to do. We need to go from a place of anguish and being stuck at the cross and stuck in Good Friday and stuck in the brokenness to recognizing the power and the victory of the resurrection. We've got something to announce. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And there are people who need to know there is life available. Eternal life is available right now. Forgiveness of sins is available right now. You can be reconciled with God. You can be reconciled with one another right now. The gospel is the hope of the world. The lily is in the shape of a trumpet. Come on, like, <laughs> we've got something to announce. And maybe you would say, man, I, I don't even, I can't preach a whole sermon. I don't know what I would say. I have seen the Lord. Have you experienced God in your life? Have you experienced resurrection in your life? Christians, we've got work to do. We've got work to do. Don't stand just outside of the tomb. Get in there, have a look, see the reality of the resurrection and then get busy. Go into all the earth and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. There's another character I just wanna bring up and uh, this, this takes place later on on Easter. So Jesus, he, he shows up with the disciples, they see him with their own eyes, except for Thomas. We don't know what Thomas was doing. I mean, to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he was grieving privately. I mean, some people don't like to grieve in a, in a large group, right? Maybe he was grieving privately. Maybe he was picking up groceries, we're not sure. But he says this line, because Jesus shows up and he leaves and he gets back and Jesus had breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He says, peace be with you. And then he, he tells them that they're gonna go and they're gonna spread this forgiveness of sins to the rest of the world. And Thomas shows up and he says, unless I see, I will never believe. And you find yourself, even now, on Easter Sunday, with this heart posture, I will never believe. Yeah, I'll come to church. I'm never gonna believe it. Never say never. Thomas missed Easter. But a week later, Jesus showed back up and Thomas saw the resurrected Christ with his own two eyes. And Jesus goes to Thomas, and instead of making him feel guilty, making him feel bad, he says here, 
Is this real enough for you? Put your fingers in the holes in my, in my hands. Put your hands in the hole in my side where the spear pierced me. This is Thomas's response. John chapter 20, verse 28. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me that Jesus is talking about, by the way. That's you and me. He knows that he's not going to physically appear to every single human being for the rest of history. And maybe for you, the transformation you need to go through today, this Easter, is the same transformation as Thomas, from doubting to devoted. From doubting to devoted. Now, Thomas earned a nickname that day. We call him Doubting Thomas, but perhaps we should actually call him Devoted Thomas. In fact, the statement that Thomas made is the strongest statement of anyone who saw the resurrected Christ. My Lord and my God. He knows that Jesus, it's a 180, right? I will never believe one week later, my Lord and my God. And I just wanna speak to you for a second. I don't wanna minimize the doubts that you might have. I don't wanna minimize the hurt that you might have experienced from a church that burned you in the past or a Christian that burned you in the past. Those are very real things. And yet the reality is, God does not expect us to have a blind faith. That's, that's not why Jesus said, even more blessed are those who believe without having seen. He's not saying even more blessed are those who, who blindly accept the resurrection. Because we may not have the opportunity that Thomas had, and yet we have Thomas, and yet we have John, and yet we have Matthew. We have records of people who did see Jesus. N.T. Wright, just an incredibly well-respected historian and New Testament scholar, says this, the empty tomb and appearances, that's the appearances of Jesus, have a historical probability which is so high as to be virtually certain. Like the death of Augustus, Caesar Augustus in AD 14, or the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Did Jerusalem fall in AD 70? Of course it did. We see evidence of it to this day. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Of course he did. The amount of evidence we are left with, is, it's not a blind faith. If you're someone who's like, well, I'm more of a, a logical person, me too. Me too, and I was convinced of the reality of the resurrection as a teenager when I looked into it, because it's so compelling. Here's some reasons for the resurrection. Uh, I don't know, the empty tomb. Where's the body, Pontius Pilate? Your seal was out front, your soldiers were out front. It's the empty tomb. Over 500 appearances that Jesus made during that 40-day period. I don't know if you know anything about practical jokes. It's almost impossible to get like a dozen people to collaborate on a story. 500 appearances of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Transformed disciples. You know what the lives of the disciples, especially people like Paul, who hated Christians with a passion, killed Christians, yet he's planting churches? Why? He saw Jesus. 3,000 converts people who were Jews giving their lives to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. How do you explain that, right? How do you explain that? And then the billions of Christians over the last 2,000 years, we each have a story 
and a testimony and a way that we can say in our lives, I've seen the Lord. I've experienced Jesus in my actual life. I've experienced transformation. This is not a blind faith. This is the farthest thing from blind. And today might be the day for you that you go from doubting to devoted. And I wanna invite you to respond to the good news of the gospel this Easter Sunday. To believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He's the son of God. He died for the sins of the world on that cross and he was raised back from the grave three days later. And the way that we respond is we, we pray, we ask God to forgive our sins and lead our lives, but really we also respond through baptism. It's how Jesus instructed us to respond. And really what baptism is, it's this really powerful reenactment, do you realize that, of Easter weekend. It's a death going under the water, signifying dying in the likeness of Christ, being buried, and being raised up out of the water into a newness of life. And next Sunday, we're gonna be baptizing people right here behind me. And if you want more information about baptism or you wanna sign up about, uh, to get baptized, go to hillcityboise.org baptism. And we would love to celebrate the new life and the transformation that God is doing in your heart. That's why Jesus left us that ceremony of baptism, to never forget the transformation of the empty tomb and so that we would be able to participate both in dying to the old self and being raised up to a new life in Christ. It's also why Jesus left us the Lord's Supper, to never forget the suffering, to never forget the cost of forgiveness. So we're gonna close by having an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. If you'd like the communion elements and you didn't get them, you can raise your hand, and an usher will, will make their way uh, to you. And really, the Lord's Supper is a remembering of the flesh and blood. This is the Son of God, but he is God in flesh, remembering the suffering and the cost of forgiveness. And while we prepare our hearts to take communion during this next song, I just wanna read to you the closing verses of John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that the resurrection is not just there so we can think about it. It's there to change our lives. Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe you died, we believe you rose from the grave, and I pray that as we believe, we would have a faith that is not just an acknowledgement of these events, but we would have the kind of trust in our lives that we would have eternal life. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to do the work of transformation. Maybe some people in this room are like Joseph. They need to go from secret to sold out. Maybe there are others who are like John. You need to go from panic to perceiving. God, there are people in this room I know who are like Mary Magdalene, just stuck in that place of anguish. Would you mobilize them to, to announce the gospel to the world that needs your hope? And maybe there are still others. They still got questions. They've still got doubts. I pray that you would bring them through a process, complete the work that you've began here on this Easter Sunday so that they would be devoted followers 
of you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.